Happy Monday, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. It is time for 10 with Tim. It is the start of a brand new week. And uh, for us, a new week in the Word. I'm so excited. We are going verse by verse through the Word of God together. Every day, Monday through Friday, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, whatever you do, wherever you find me. God bless you. Don't forget that uh, when you're following on Facebook or watching on YouTube, whatever, comment. Uh, give me a thumbs up, smiley face, frowny face, whatever. It doesn't really even matter. It's not about my ego. It's about you interacting with the kind of content that you like seeing because the more you interact with it, the more of that kind of content you'll see. You can literally change the way Facebook works by interacting with the content that you prefer. So if you see a whole lot of junk on Facebook, stop clicking on junk. <laughs> and if you want to see more content like 10 with Tim or maybe things from your church, interact with it, share it, pass it on. Uh, the more you uh, work with that content, the more that Facebook, YouTube, all of those platforms will elevate. Uh, they elevate what gets eyeballs. So again, share it smiley face it, thumbs up, whatever, but uh, but interact in that way. Literally, we can all make social media a better place for everybody. We're in Isaiah chapter 6 today, and this is so good. I don't know why Isaiah didn't start with this. You know, Jeremiah starts with his calling narrative, his calling story, and Isaiah puts it off to chapter 6. It's just so good. It's just so good. It authorizes him as a prophet, you know, this is a story of how he became one delivering God's message, and it authorizes him, but also it authorizes the book. You understand? Because we now know how Isaiah began to hear and see and speak, you know, for God. He brings a word of the Lord, and so we know that this is his authorization and therefore also the authorization of the whole book and all of his ministry. Isaiah becomes a spokesman for God, and this is the story of how I love it. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's how it begins. I've heard preachers really try to make a big deal about that, and, and maybe it's a big deal. Uh, it's a time stamp. Uh, you know, they didn't necessarily, you know, keep up with years. Like, you couldn't say, you know, hey, way back in the flood of 1937, you know, they didn't have 1930. They didn't, they didn't count years like that. They didn't calculate dates like that. So they would just simply associate time with major events. So it's a time stamp, and we know that happened in about 740 B.C. So right around 740 B.C., Isaiah gets his calling into ministry. Now, uh, again, I know preachers who would make a whole lot more about it. We don't know a lot about King Uzziah. We really, really don't. He had about a, uh, gosh, 52-year reign, something like that. Uh, it was relatively stable. We know that from Kings and from Chronicles. But other than that, King Uzziah didn't set the world on fire. He just, you know, reigned with a relatively quiet period. Uh, I think that the, if there's significance to this time stamp of, you know, in the year King Uzziah died, I think it just really highlights the transitory nature of earthly kings with the eternal nature of the king of glory. You know what I'm saying? Like kings down here, presidents, you know, thank the Lord, they come and go. But, you know, God reigns for eternity, and, and I love that. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Like most Old Testament Theophanies, that's the word. Theophany is a, a manifestation or a vision of God. But we also know that nobody can see God and live. So there's always, if you pay attention, there's this twin theme of 
of, of seeing but not seeing. Like God reveals himself, but God conceals himself. So what does Isaiah really see? Well, the train of his robe fills the temple, you know, and then also the whole building is filled with smoke, you know, so it's like the Exodus story where God's on the mountain, but it's covered with cloud and fire and smoke, and you know, so so you see, but you don't see that there is at the same time a, a visual manifestation and a very, very obvious concealing because truly nobody, no eyes can even, you know, look upon the glory of, of our God. What temple? That's the next question. Uh, many scholars will read this passage and say he's having uh, a vision of the heavenly throne room, the heavenly temple. I don't know that there's a temple like that, you know. Uh, the, I don't know how to think about that is what I'm saying. Uh, it, it seems to make more sense to me that Isaiah is in the temple. You know, he says the temple, you know. Uh, he gets a vision of God in, in, in worship. But again, the reason scholars go the other way is because that brings up all kinds of questions like, well, it's very unlikely that an individual would have a private moment in the temple in Jerusalem, you know? So if he's in worship, it's most likely a festival. It's, it's Sunday morning, you know, and there's a whole congregation of people going on and he doesn't say a word about the sermon that day or about the special music or, you know, whether or not you know, they had the Lord's Supper. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, you know, but, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I think it's the earthly temple. I, I, I think he's worshiping in the earthly temple because it's the only temple he had access to and, and God opens his eyes. And then the question becomes, does anybody else see it? And I'm thinking, no, you know, it, it's a gift. I, I mean, Isaiah is worshiping and God gives him this vision in, in worship. God allows him to see what ordinarily eyes can't see. And actually, I just love that. I love that. And then, you know, it raises the next question. Well, why why don't you know I ever get to see something? Why doesn't God give me a vision like that? And I'll just say, uh, on the one hand, God can't bless you in worship if you don't worship. And, and, and few of us, honestly, we go to church, but it doesn't mean that we really draw near to God, that we seek him, that we have eyes open wide open to see him if he chose to reveal himself to us. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Isaiah is worshiping, uh, and in this moment of worship, he is able to see what ordinarily eyes can't see, and it's just this amazing vision. He, 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 even though it's almost like God comes down, heaven comes down, and he's allowed to see the worship around the throne of God at all times, uh, he seems like the intruder. You know, all of a sudden, he is... Uh, the one that doesn't belong here. In the same moment that he becomes so aware of God's holiness, God's presence, and the this eternal doxology of the angels, you know, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with, I mean, I just love that so much. It's like at the same moment he becomes aware of God's, you know, sheer holiness. He becomes instantly aware of his own lostness, his own undoneness his his own unworthiness and, and it's uh it's crushing I, I i love it i identify you know in this moment all he can think about is oh my goodness you know i'm seeing god and i i don't belong here and uh and i'm done you know i'm done nobody comes back from something like this alive notice what he says it's all over i'm doomed i'm a dead man you know 
I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. And notice how he goes straight. He's not commissioned yet to be a prophet, but it's almost like he already knows. <laughs> you know, I, I, and I think that. I think sometimes the seeds of your calling are planted in you, you know, in, in ways that you don't even understand. And Isaiah is just aware of the inadequacy of his mouth, you know. And at the same time, notice how he doesn't see himself as different in any way worse than or better than everybody else. He just says, I'm a sinful man of filthy lips just like everybody I know, you know. And I think that's important. And I think it's part of why God is going to use Isaiah. He comes into God's presence, but he still has this real deep awareness of connection to his people. You know, I'm sinful just like they are. I have filthy mouth just like they do, you, you know. And so instantly the angel comes and uh, takes a coal from the altar, you know, the altar of sacrifice and puts that coal against his lips. Uh, that, that, that must have been excruciating, painful. I, I don't know, but it is cleansing. And in this moment of worship, there is this acceptance and cleansing that comes in an, in, in an amazing a sense of being restored and made clean. And, and, and I just love that so much. That fire, which is often a sign of judgment, is also a sign of purification, you know? What happens next is amazing. It's just amazing. Because God doesn't say, okay, now I got a job for you. It's just like God's talking out loud or thinking out loud and says, man, who are we going to send, you know? I mean, it, it may be the heavenly throne room and it might be a great moment of worship, but God's still doing his work. You know, God works. I mean, Jesus said, my father works all the time. And so God's still up there dispatching business. He's like, man, we got a message to send. Who are we going to send? You ever had like that person in your life that every time they see you, they're going to ask you to do something you don't want to do? <laughs> I'll be honest. You know, I got, I got people like that in my life. I, I used to have this lady and I knew if she called me, if she saw me out, you know, at the store or whatever, she was going, she had something for me to do. She always, if she saw me, she had something for me to do. And I guarantee you, I didn't want to do it, you know? And so my, my strategy was either to avoid her or to just simply say hi and just keep walking, you know, just try not to really get on her radar, try not to really catch her eye, you know. And a lot of people relate to God that way. I mean, you love God, you don't mind going to church and stuff, but you don't really want God to notice notice you because if if you get on his radar, he is going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. You know, he's going to ask you to give your money or he's going to ask you to, you know, go on a mission trip. He's going to ask you to forgive your neighbor, forgive your enemy. I mean, you know, it's just like, I, I, I want to know God, but I don't necessarily want him, you know, to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to be the object, you know, of, of his attention. Cause if, if he sees me, he's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. I mean, honestly, I think that's the way a lot of people live, but not Isaiah. Notice God doesn't even tap him on the shoulder. Like I say, God just said, man, who are we going to send? And Isaiah says, me. He volunteers. Me, you know. What is it that makes him so willing? I mean, our church here, we have great people. We need so many volunteers for everything. But why is it that, that it's so hard to get people to volunteer? What would it take for you and me to have this kind of willingness? The willingness that Isaiah has. He begs God to use him, you know. Well, I think the willingness comes from two things. He, he sees God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He sees God. It's a vision of the Lord. And he, uh, 
He sees people. He knows people. He loves people. So he has this awestruck vision of God and this uh, broken heart for people, you know? And I think if you could see God, I think if you had an awestruck vision of God, which he would give you if you asked for it, if you had that awestruck vision of God and if you really would see people, I think you'd beg God to use you too, you know? I think you'd beg him to use you, just like Isaiah does. Um, verses 1 through 8, you know, are the story of the commissioning, and then 9 through uh, 13 is the message. Here's the message you'll take. Notice it's not going to be a fun message to preach. I mean, basically from the very beginning, Isaiah knows that they're not going to listen to you. This isn't going to end well, you know. Uh, basically, you're going to preach the message that they're never going to listen to, and they are eventually going to be cut down like a tree. But pay attention because that stump is going to become like a holy seed, you know. So even in the judgment, word of judgment, there's always that with Isaiah, always that seed of hope, you know. That stump is going to be a holy seed. In other words, it's going to come back. God's going to bring it back. God will judge, but God is going to restore. Isn't that good? I love it so much. I love the Lord so much. Gosh, I, I want him to use me. I, I want him to use me. I just want to beg him, you know, let me speak for you. Let, let me serve you. Let, you know, let me go. Um, I, I hope that you have a willing heart as well. Uh, beg God to use you. Uh, if not, what are our lives for? You know, I, I love you so much. Listen, tomorrow we'll pick up with chapter seven, chapter seven, uh, one to what is it? 25. So chapter seven, all of chapter seven for tomorrow. Again, we're in a different section of Isaiah and all of this is narrative. Isaiah telling the story, you know, and so we'll pick up there chapter seven tomorrow. So listen, Monday, my day off. Y'all know what that means. If you got groceries to get, meet me at Myers later and I'll see you there in the produce. I love you guys so much. I'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim and Tim. Have a good day.